Hello and welcome to Speak the Words, a Warbreaker podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Mango. This is the podcast where normally we talk about the Stormlight Archive and all of the books and all the people moving around upstairs, moving uh, all their chairs in and out a million times. But this time, <laughs> we jumped into the perpendicularity, took a trip across Shadesmar, and we're, we're taking a look at Nalthus and what's going on, what's going on here. So, so we're here, we're on Nalthus. There's a bit of a bit of a book happening here, uh, and. Yeah, I don't know. How are you feeling so far, Mango? This is like episode four, I think, right? That sounds right. Episode four. I feel like not much has happened yet. All right. Uh, yeah, not much has happened yet. It's been a lot of setup, uh, but we got introduced to characters a lot more quickly this time around. Um, yeah, that's you, uh, true. You have the main cast already, which I think around mm-hmm. this point is when we finally got the main cast of Stormlight. Oh, yeah, that's true. And, I mean, by the time we're done here tonight, we'll be somewhere between a quarter and a third of the way through the book. We're making progress. Uh, As always, I just want to say before we jump into things, we have a Discord server, and it's a pretty cool Discord server. You guys should come and join it. The link to do that is either in the episode description or on Twitter at at SpeakStormlight. We have it as the, the pinned tweet, so you guys can go there and find that. Uh, for now, Mango, what happened last time? We had Vivenna. I don't remember the order, but Vivenna got to the city, or one of the cities, and um, thought it was really ugly because of all the colors. And she's supposed to meet with this, um, what, what's their kingdom? again uh so she is an edrian she's from idris ah yeah she's in so she was supposed to meet another edrian man mm-hmm. and uh she goes into this like restaurant to meet him but instead of meeting him she meets his mercenaries who joke around like they're gonna kill her but <laughs> no um and they take her to the guy she was supposed to meet, who's about to die. And um, even though he's Edrian, and they're against all this, like, having other people's breasts thing, uh, he has a lot of it. Like, 200-something. 500? How many hundred? They said, they said, um, how many? Uh, yeah, about 500. Well, he has 500 breaths. Um, and so she's like, they tell her to take it because it's valuable. And she's like, I don't want anything to do with that. But also she needs the resource to help save her sister. So she's like, hey, why don't I just have one of you take it? But then the guy like grabs her arm and gives it to her forcibly. Mm -hmm. And so now she has all this breath. and. She, what was it? The first ascension or whatever? Ah, she's at one of the heightenings. I don't know if they the said heightenings. That's what which one she's at. But she is at at least the first. So yeah. she can see colors a lot better. She's a lot more sensitive to her surroundings. And, um, 
it kind of changed how she saw color. Because she reached the first tightening, at least. So, now she has all this breath that she doesn't want. And she can't just give it to anybody unless she gives her breath as well. But, because she has it, she's basically considered, like, an, an elite or an aristocrat or whatever yeah people she can get into really, places yeah you won't really look twice at her if she tries to get into the the court of gods yeah um and then you've got uh siri mm-hmm. who's been doing the same thing for like a week where she does whatever she wants during the day and then she goes and has bathing and is prepared to go into the king's chambers at night and she undresses and sits there all night until she passes out and the god king just watches her but he doesn't even watch her like in an ogling way he watches her like coldly and like he's not really like he doesn't really care he's just there um and eventually one night she kind of gets tired of the whole thing and she like shouts at him and is like just get on with it already and at first she's scared because she was told not to ever talk to him or she'll be executed um but he doesn't do anything he doesn't look angry he doesn't move towards her. He literally doesn't do anything except, like, sit up a little straighter. So she realizes, hey, if yelling at him isn't going to make him angry, then I can probably look at him without making him angry, too. So she kind of stares at him the whole night until he leaves. And then eventually he gets up and leaves the room. And then she goes and crawls in the bed and goes to sleep. Um, And uh, that's it. Oh, she does talk to uh, Blue Fingers a little bit, and he's like, "Are you active at night? Because you you always seem to be tired during the day." And mm. she doesn't really tell the truth at all. And oh, she also tried to um, convince one of the other like priests or whatever mm-hmm. to let her leave the palace, and she's like, "Well, can't you make an exception?" And he yeah. gets really mad at her, like, "Why?" Like, how dare you ask us to make an exception in that matters of religion? It's like, yeah. everything is religion to you guys, though. Anyway, so, and then we cut to Light Song, and he has to do um, petitions. And this is when we find out what petitions are. Basically, a god can heal someone, but only one person, and in return they have to give up their own life. Um, and so every day they get petitions from people in the kingdom who ask them, like, hey, heal me or heal my child or heal my grandparent or whatever. And they have to say no. Well, they don't have to, but they kind of have to because they would have to give up their life to heal these people and it's really draining 
for Light Song, and he hates it, but he does it anyway because he feels like, um, if he's going to be treated so well, he should at least do his godly duties to give back, or whatever. Mm -hmm. He asks one of his priests, like, what's the point of all this stuff? Like, I don't believe in all this religion stuff, but you must have studied it, so tell me more about it. Basically, it was like, um, the returned aren't meant to stay forever. They are meant to, like, they saw what was beyond the, um, like, I don't know what they called it, but. I don't either. They the saw beyond. Of death. They saw <laughs> yeah. beyond. Yeah. And they decided that they needed to come back from what they saw of the future. Um, but in return, they don't remember why they came back. And they have to figure out what their purpose of coming back was. And so that's why they're provided with um, the breath of people. It's to sustain them until they can fulfill their purpose of coming back to help people. And that's why they do petitions is because seeing all these people might help the returned remember what their purpose of coming back was. Oh, and then there was this whole thing. It's like, maybe, I don't know. There was this thing about, like, Light Song coming back and not remembering or believing in the whole religion and knowing that he wouldn't remember anything. And how it was like a paradox. Mm. I, I'm not gonna try and figure it out, but <laughs> I was like, "That's kind of dumb." Yeah, basically, what happened? That um, is, and they were all getting ready to go to the court of God. And that is where we pick up. We pick up with chapter 14, and we start in Light Song's POV. It's raining. Light Song noted. Very astute, your grace, Laramir said, walking beside his god. I'm not fond of rain. So have you have so you have often noted, your grace. I'm a god. Shouldn't I have power over the weather? How can it rain if I don't want it to? There are currently twenty-five gods in the court, your grace. Perhaps there are more who desire rain than those who don't. Lightsong and Laramir were walking across the court of gods, and Lightsong is wearing robes of gold and red. I'll take a poll, then, of the other gods. See how many of them wanted it to rain today. If you wish your grace, it won't prove much. It'll prove whose fault this is. And if it turns out that most of us wanted to stop raining, perhaps that will start a theological crisis. Laramir, of course, didn't seem bothered by the concept of a god trying to undermine his own religion. Your grace, our doctrine is quite sound, I assure you. And if the gods don't want it to rain, yet it still does? Would you like it to be sunny all the time, your grace? Lightsong shrugged. Sure. And the farmers? Their crops would die without the rain. It can rain on the crops, just not in the city. A few selective weather patterns shouldn't be too, di too much for a god to accomplish. The people need water to drink, your grace. The streets need to be washed clean. And what if the plants in the city, the beautiful trees, even this grass that you enjoy walking across, would die if the rain did not fall? Well, I could just will them to continue living. And that is what you do, your grace. Your soul knows that rain is best for the city, and so it rains, despite what your consciousness thinks. Lightsong frowned. By that argument, you could claim that anyone was a god, Laramir. 
Not just anyone comes back from the dead, Your Grace, nor do they have the power to heal the sick, and they certainly don't have the ability to foresee the future. They move into a large arena that sat outside the Ring of Palaces. It had four rows of seats for ordinary people, while the upper reaches had boxes reserved for the returned. Life Blesser and Mercy Star had already arrived. They passed Lightsong's box and entered into Blushweaver's. Lightsong felt he always had to be on guard with her. They have a witty back and forth that's entertaining but isn't really super important. Uh, the main takeaway is that Blushweaver is a force of nature that has ambitions that she will seize, and they also mention the Pawn Call and their own religion, uh, so the Pawn Call being another, like, uh, another group of people who have their own religion, though a light song considers them to be practically Halandrin. And how exactly did we get onto this tangent anyway, Lightsong said. I swear, my dear, sometimes our conversations remind me of a broken sword. She raised an eyebrow. Sharp as hell, but lacking a point. Blushweaver snorted quietly. You're the one who asked to meet with me, Lightsong. Yes, but we both know that you wanted me to. What are you planning, Blushweaver? Blushweaver rolled her grape between her fingers. Wait, she said. First you imply that I should join with you, now you won't tell me what you want me to do. I swear, woman, someday your ridiculous sense of drama is going to cause cataclysmic problems, like, for instance, boredom in your companions. It's not drama, it's respect. She nodded directly across the arena where the God King's box still stood empty, golden throne sitting on a pedestal above the box itself. Ah, feeling patriotic today, are we? It's more that I'm curious. About? Her. The Queen. Blushweaver gave him a flat stare. Of course her. Who else would I be speaking about? Lightsong counted off the days. It had been a week. Huh. Her period of isolation is over then. You really should pay more attention, Lightsong. He, sh he shrugged. Time tends to pass you by more quickly than you take note when you take- Eh, fuck, I didn't write that note down right. Anyways. He shrugged. <laughs> Time tends to pass you by more quickly when you, when you take no notice of it, my dear. In that, it's remarkably similar to most women I know. With that, he accepted a handful of nuts, then settled back to wait. We cut to Ciri. Ciri was carried on a chair across the Court of Gods towards the arena. She was trailed by a group of serving women that held the trails of her dress in the air to keep it from touching the white grass. She asked the servants, to car uh, servants carrying a canopy to move aside and let the rain fall on her for a little bit, and they oblige. She's ba she basks in the drizzle, and she uh, talks about how she wants to get down and walk in the grass herself, but the servants seem very uncomfortable with that idea. They enter the arena, and Siri smiles at the group of colorful people gathering. It was nice to see variety again, even though it was somewhat garish. The servants carry her to a box away from the other gods and then set her chair down. She asks where the god king is, and they tell her that he won't arrive until the other gods are all there. Her servants made food, and a minstrel played their flute as Siri studied the exotic colors below. Entourage after entourage arrived bearing different sets of colors, normally a hue and a metallic. There were boxes for about 50 gods, but the court only had a couple dozen. 25, she thought. She sat back in her chair as a god passed. There were still about four or five gods left to arrive. And we cut to Vivenna. Vivenna entered the court of gods. The priests had waved her in without even asking for identification, letting in Parlin as well assuming him to be her attendant. The priests guarding the gates were of the first heightening, which allowed them to distinguish levels of breath in other people. Vivenna also had that ability. She saw how close a person had to get to one of the priests before the colors increased, and she saw exactly how much more colorful those hues became. This information let her know instinctively that each of the priests was of the first tightening. Parlin had one breath. 
The ordinary citizens, who had to present papers to gain entrance to the court, also each had only one breath. She could tell how strong that breath was, and if the person was sick or not. The priests and the majority of the wealthier individuals entering the gate had exactly 50 breaths. Some had at least 200 breaths, which was enough for the second heightening, and the pitch perfect the perfect pitch it granted. Not pitch perfect, that's a movie. Only a few had more <laughs> breaths only a few had more breaths than Vivenna, who had reached the third heightening and gained perfect color perception. Oh. She'd been tutored about the heightenings, but felt dirty having reached them herself. She hated how beautiful the heightening made all the colors look around her. The drizzle was finally starting to let up, and Parlin lowered the umbrella he'd brought to keep them both dry. So this is it, he said, shaking off the umbrella. The court of gods. Vivenna nodded. Good place to graze sheep. I doubt that. Parlin frowned. Goats, then? Vivenna sighed and joined the procession of people moving toward the arena. She was beginning to realize that there wasn't a way to stand out in Tatelier. There was so much variety amongst the people. It's all about drawing attention, she realized. The whites and faded colors are a reaction against the bright colors, but because everyone tries to, so hard to look distinctive, nobody does. Interesting buildings, Parlin said. The people wear so much color, but that palace is just one color. Wonder why that is. It's not one color, it's many different shades of the same color. Parlin shrugged. Red is red. How could she explain? Each red was different, like notes on a musical scale. The walls were of pure red, the roof tiles, side columns, and other ornamentations were of slightly different shades, each distinct and intentional. The columns, for instance, formed steppings, stepping fifths of color, harmonizing with the base tint of the walls. It was like a symphony of hues. The building had obviously been constructed for a person who had reached the third heightening, as only such a person would be able to see the ideal resonance. To others, well, it was just a bunch of red. They approached the arena where the priests would argue for the sport of their deities. They wait in line at a crowded gate into the arena, and Vivenna wonders why nobody used one of the other gates nearby. The answer was made manifest as a figure approached. He was surrounded by servants, some carrying a canopy. All were dressed in blue and silver, matching their leader who stood a good head taller than the others. He gave off a biochromatic aura such as Vivenna had never seen, though admittedly she'd been able to see them for only a few hours. His bubble of enhanced color was enormous. It extended nearly 30 feet. To her first heightening senses, the god's breath registered as infinite, immeasurable. For the first time, Vivenna could see that there was something different about the returned. They weren't just awakeners with more power. It was like they had only a single breath, but that breath was so immensely powerful that it single-handedly propelled them to the upper heightenings. As she watched him enter the arena, the arrogance obvious in his posture, her awe vanished. He needed to absorb a breath each week to, to live. Her revulsion returned. Nearby, a man was lifted into the air by his unusually long cloak. When he returned to the ground, he turned to his friends and told them that the crowd was thinning up ahead. Eventually, they entered the arena and Vivenna scanned the boxes above looking for Ciri. When she did, her heart sank. My sister, Vivenna thought with a chill. My poor sister. Siri was dressed in a scandalous golden dress that didn't even come down to her knees. It also had a plunging neckline. Siri's hair, which even she should have been able to keep a dark brown, was instead the golden yellow of enjoyment, and there were deep red ribbons woven through it. She was being attended by dozens of servants. Look what they've done to her, Vivenna said. She must be frightened senseless, forced to wear something like that. Forced to keep her hair a color that matches her clothing? Forced to be a slave to the god king? <laughs> Parlin's square-jawed face grew hard. He didn't often get angry, but Vivenna could see it in him now. She agreed. Ciri was being exploited. 
They were carrying her around and displaying her like some kind of trophy. It seemed to Vivenna a statement. They were saying that they could take a chaste, innocent Idris woman and do whatever they wished with her. What I'm doing is right, Vivenna thought with growing determination. Coming to Halindrin was the best thing to do. Lemix might be dead, but I have to press onward. I have to find a way. I have to save my sister. Vivenna, or Vivenna, Parlinette said. Hmm. Why is everyone starting to bow? Ciri's POV. Ciri played idly with one of the tassels on her dress. The final god was seating himself in the box. That's twenty-five, she thought. That should be all of them. Suddenly, out in the audience, people began to rise, then kneel to the ground. Ciri stood searching anxiously. What was she missing? Had the god king arrived, or was this something else? Even the gods had gone down on their knees, though they didn't prostrate themselves as the mortals did. They all seemed to be bowing towards Ciri. Some sort of ritual greeting for their new queen? Then she saw it. Her dress exploded with color. The stone at her feet gained luster, and her very skin became more vibrant. In front of her, a white serving bowl began to shine. Then it seemed to stretch, the white color splitting into the colors of the rainbow. A serving woman tugged on Ciri's sleeve from where she knelt below. Vessel, the woman whispered, behind you. And that's the end of the chapter. Chapter 15 Breath catching in her chest, Ciri turned. She found him standing behind her, though she had no idea how he had arrived. There was no entrance back there, just the stone wall. He wore white. She hadn't expected that. Something about his biochroma made the pure white split as she'd seen before, breaking up like light passed through a prism. Now, in daylight, she could finally see this properly. His clothing seemed to stretch, forming a robe-shaped rainbow and a colorful aura around him. And he was young. Far younger than her shadowed meetings had suggested. He had supposedly reigned in Halandrin for decades, yet the man standing behind her appeared to be no more than twenty. She stared at him, awed, mouth opening slightly, and any words she had planned to say escaped her. This man was a god. The very air distorted around him. How could she not have seen it? How could she have possibly have treated him as she had? She felt like a fool. He regarded her, expression blank and unreadable, face so controlled that he reminded her Siri of Avena. Vivenna. She shouldn't have been so belligerent. She would have deserved. She, she, uh, eh. Vivenna would have deserved mar marriage to such a majestic creature. The serving woman hissed quietly, tugging again at Ciri's dress. Belatedly, Ciri dropped to her knees on the stone, the long train of her dress flapping slightly in the wind behind her. And we cut to Light Song. Flesh Weaver knelt on a cushion, but Light Song remained standing, inspecting the God King, the only being to have reached the tenth heightening. Blushweaver glanced up at Lightsong. Why do we kneel? he asked. That's our king! Drop down, fool! What will happen if I don't? They can't execute me. I'm a god. You could hurt our cause. Our cause. One meeting and I'm already part of her plans? However, he wasn't so foolish that he would needlessly earn the god king's ire. Why risk his perfect life full of people who would carry his chair through the rain and shell his nuts for him? He knelt down on his cushion. The God King's superiority was arbitrary, much like Light Song's divinity, both part of a grand game of make-believe. But he'd found that imaginary things were often the only items of real substance in people's lives. And we cut back to Ciri. Two Awakener priests drop ropes that, that wrap around the God King and pull him up into a golden throne. The God King stretched out his hands and the people continued their talking. A part of Ciri was relieved that he wasn't sitting with her, while another part was frustrated. She'd just been getting over her awe, and now he'd gone and impressed her all over again. What was she to make of Susabron? He couldn't be a god, not really. 
could he? Austere was the true god of men, the one who had sent the returned. The Halandrin had worshipped him too, before the many war and the exile of the royal family. Only after that had... Only after that had they, had they fallen, becoming pagans, worshipping the iridescent tones, biochromatic breath, the returned, and art in general. And yet Ciri had never seen Austere. She'd been taught about him, but what was one to make of a creature like the God King? That divine halo of color wasn't something that she could ignore. She began to understand just how the people of Halandrin, after nearly being destroyed by their enemies, then being saved by the diplomatic skills of Peacegiver the Blessed, could look to the returned for divine guidance. Um, Bluefingers approached her and explains that her main purpose at the event was so that the returned could get a better look at her. She, she tries to ask him about the warning he'd given her earlier, but he shoots her a look that clearly says, not now. Bluefingers, she asked, are they really gods? The scribe hesitated, then finally looked up from his ledger. Vessel? The returned. Do you really think that they're divine? That they can see the future? I don't think I'm the right one to ask, Vessel. Let me fetch you one of the priests. He can answer your questions. Just give me a- No. I don't want a priest's opinion. I want the opinion of a regular person, like you. A typical follower. Bluefingers frowned. All apologies, Vessel, but I'm not a follower of the returned. But you work in the palace. And you live there, Vessel. Yet neither of us worship the iridescent tones. You are from Idris. I am from Pancal. Pancal is the same as Halandrin. Bluefingers raised an eyebrow, pursing his lips. Actually, Vessel, it's quite different. But you're ruled by the God King. We can accept him as king without worshipping him as our god. That is one of the reasons why I am a steward in the palace instead of a priest. His robes. Maybe that's why he always wears brown. So what do you think of them? Good people, but misguided. A little like I think of you, Vessel. But how do you explain the God King's radiance? Biochroma. The rest of the return don't bend white into colors like he does, do they? No, indeed they do not. They, however, don't hold the wealth of breaths that he does. So he is different. Why was he born with more? He wasn't, Vessel. The God King's power does not derive from the inherent biochroma of being a returned. In that, he is identical to the others. However, he holds something else. The Light of Peace, they call it. A fancy word for a treasure trove of breath that numbers somewhere in the tens of thousands. Tens of thousands, Siri thought. That much? Bluefingers nodded distractedly. The God Kings are said to be the only ones to ever achieve the Tenth Heightening. That is what makes light fracture around them, as well as gives him other abilities. The ability to break lifeless commands, for instance, or the ability to awaken objects without touching them, using only the sound of his voice. These powers are less a function of divinity and more a simple matter of holding so much breath. But where did he get it? The majority of it was originally gathered by Peacegiver the Blessed. He collected thousands of breaths during the days of the Many War. He passed those on to the first Halandrin God King. That inheritance has been transferred from father to son for centuries, and has been enlarged since each God King is given two breaths a week, instead of the one that the other returned receive. Oh, Ciri said, sitting back, finding herself oddly disappointed by the news. Susabron was not a god, he was simply a man with far more biochroma than normal. Ciri looked inward at what she believed. Austere was simply God. The returned were usurpers who had cast the followers of Austere out of Halandrin. Yet they were so majestic. Why had the royal family been cast out of Halandrin? She knew the official story taught in Idris, that the royals hadn't supported the conflicts that led up to the many war. For that, the people had revolted against them. That revolt had been led by Kalad the usurper. Kalad, though Ciri had avoided most of her 
tutorial sessions, even she knew the stories of that man. He was the one who had led the people of Halandrin in the heresy of building lifeless. He had created a powerful army of the creatures, one the likes of which he had never been seen in the land. The story said Kalad's lifeless had been more dangerous, new and distinctive, terrible and destructive. He'd eventually been defeated by Peacegiver, who had then ended the many war through diplomacy. The story said that Kalad's armies were still out there, somewhere, waiting to sweep down and destroy again. She knew that story was just a legend told by Hearthlight, but it still gave her shivers to consider. Regardless, Peacegiver had seized control and stopped the many war. However, he had not restored Halandrin to its rightful rulers. Idris's histories claimed betrayal and treachery. The monks spoke of heresies that were too deeply ingrained in Halandrin. Surely the Halandrin people had their own version of the story. Watching the return in their boxes made Ciri wonder. One fact was obvious. Things in Halandrin were a whole lot less terrible than she had been taught. And we cut to Vivenna. She was cringing at all the people in their colorful outfits who surrounded her. She still couldn't decide if the breath she held was horrible or wonderful. It was horrible because of how wonderful it felt. The more people around her, the more overwhelmed she felt. That's it, she thought. I've seen Ciri and I know what they've done with her. It's time to go. Turning, she stood and froze. A man was standing two rows back, and he was staring directly at Vivenna. She normally wouldn't have paid him any attention. He was wearing ragged brown clothing ripped in places, his loose trousers tied at the waist by a simple rope. His facial hair was oh. halfway <laughs> was halfway oh. between being a beard and just scruff. His hair was unkempt and came down to his shoulders, and he created a bubble of color around him so bright that he had to be of the fifth heightening. He stared at her, meeting her eyes, and she had a sudden and awful panicked sense that he knew exactly who she was. She stumbled back. The strange man didn't take his eyes off of her. He shifted, pushing back his cloak and exposing a large, black-hilted sword at his belt. Few people in Halandrin wore weapons. This man didn't seem to care. How had he gotten that thing into the court? The people to the sides gave him a wide berth, and Ravenna swore she could sense something about that sword. It seemed to darken colors, deepen them, make tans into browns, reds into maroons, blues into navies, as if it had its own biochroma. Parlin, she said more sharply than she'd intended, we're leaving. But now, Vivenna said, turning and rushing away. Her newfound biochromatic senses informed her that the man's eyes were still on her. Now that she realized it, she understood that his eyes on her were probably what had made her so uncomfortable in the first place. The tutor spoke of this, she thought as she and Parlin made her their way to one of the stone exit passages. Life sense, the ability to tell when there are people nearby, and to tell when they're watching you. Everyone has it to a certain small degree. Biochroma enhances that. As soon as they entered the passage, the sense of being watched vanished, and Vivenna let out a relieved breath. I don't see why you wanted to leave, Parlin said. We've seen what we needed to, I guess. I thought you might want to listen to what the priests were saying about Idris. Vivenna froze. What? Parlin frowned, looking distraught. I think they might be declaring war. Don't we have a treaty? Lord gods of color. Lord god of colors, Vivenna thought, turning and scrambling back up into the open arena. And that's the end of the chapter. Vasher's there. He's just chilling, dude. Nothing to worry about. Mm -hmm. Dude, Nightblood, dude. Mm -hmm. Nightblood's nice. Chapter 16. We're in Lightsong's POV. The priests continued their argument over declaring war with Idris. Lightsong had seen the debate over Idris rage before, but never with talk of outright war. Outright war. Fleshweaver's high priest was leading the support of war, and Lightsong couldn't help but think of his dream of Tetelier burning. 
You're behind this debate, aren't you? He said, turning to Blushweaver. Behind it, Blushweaver said sweetly. Dear Lightsong, the priests decide the issues to be discussed. Gods don't bother with such mundanity. I'm sure. You want my lifeless commands. I wouldn't say that. I just want you to be informed, should you? She trailed off as Lightsong gave her a flat look. Oh, colors. Of course I need your commands, Lightsong. Why else would I go to all the trouble to get you here? You're a very difficult person to manipulate, you know. Nonsense. You just have to promise me that I won't have to do a thing, and then I'll do anything you want. Anything? Anything that doesn't require doing anything. That's nothing, then. Is it? Yes. Well, that's something. Blushweaver rolled her eyes. There had never been such strong arguments for war before, and the people were getting impatient with their gods. There was a belief that this batch of returned were less benevolent, less divine. Lightsong agreed. There's more, isn't there? He said, glancing at Blushweaver. What aren't they saying? Lightsong, dear, you were right. Being you to government proceedings and it absolutely corrupts you. I just don't like secrets. They make my brain itch. Keep me awake at nights. Engaging in politics is like pulling off a bandage. Best to get the pain over with quickly. Forced simile, dear. Best I can do at the moment, I'm afraid. Nothing dulls the wit more quickly than politics. Now, you were saying... I've told you already. The focus of all this is that woman. The queen? They sent the wrong one. The younger instead of the elder. I know. Clever of them. Clever? It's downright brilliant. Do you know what a fortune we paid these last twenty years to spy upon, study, and learn about the eldest daughter? Those of us who thought to be careful even studied the second daughter, the one they've made a monk. But the youngest? Nobody gave her half a thought. And so the Idrians send a random element into court, Lightsong thought. One that upsets plans and conniving that our politicians have been working on for decades. It was brilliant. Nobody knows anything about her, Brett Lushweaver said, frowning deeply. She obviously did not like being taken by surprise. My spies in Idris insist that the girl is of little consequence, which makes me worry that she is even more dangerous than I'd feared. Lightsong raised an eyebrow. And you don't think maybe that you might be overreacting a tad? Oh? And tell me, what would you do if you wanted to inject an agent into the court? Would you perhaps set up a decoy that you could display, drawing attention away from the real agent, whom you could train secretly with a clandestine agenda? It would be foolish for the girl to try and assassinate the God King. But she could be trying to poison his mind. We need to be ready to act. I won't sit and let my kingdom be pulled out from under me. I won't idly be cast out as the royals once were. You control a fourth of our lifeless. That's ten thousand soldiers who don't need to eat, who can march tirelessly. If we convince the other three with commands to join us... Lightsong thought for a moment, then nodded and stood. What are you doing? I think I'll go for a stroll. Where? Lightsong glanced over at the queen. Oh, blessed colors. Lightsong, do not ruin this. We walk a very delicate line here. I'll do my best. I don't suppose I can talk you out of interacting with her? My dear, Lightsong said, glancing backward, I at least have to chat with her. Nothing would be more intolerable than being overthrown by a person with whom I'd never even had a nice conversation. And we cut to Siri. Siri asks one of her servants why the priests are discussing invading Idris, and the servant just goes off to collect trelodies for Siri. Yes, Vessel, the tall man said. The priests, what are they, what were they just discussing? Your homeland of Idris, Vessel. I know that much. What do they want with Idris? It seemed to me, Vessel, that they were arguing about whether or not to attack the rebel province and bring it back under proper royal control. Rebel province? Yes, Vessel. Your people are in a state of rebellion against the rest of the kingdom. But you rebelled against us! 
Trelides raised an eyebrow. Different viewpoints on history indeed, Siri thought. I can see how somebody might think as you do, she said, but you wouldn't really attack us, would you? We sent you a queen, just as you demanded. Because of that, the next god-king will have royal blood. Assuming the current, the current god-king ever decides to consummate our marriage. Trelides simply shrugged. It is likely nothing, Vassal. The god simply needed to be appraised of the current political climate of Tetelir. His words didn't offer Siri much comfort. Vessel, Trelides said. She glanced at him. Yes? There is a matter of some delicacy I fear that I must discuss with you. What is that? You are familiar with monarchies, he said. Indeed, you are the daughter of a king. I assume that you know how important it is to a government that there be a secure, stable plan for succession. I guess. Therefore, you realize that it is of no small importance that an heir be provided as quickly as possible. Siri blushed. We're working on that. With all due respect, Vessel, there is some degree of disagreement upon whether or not you actually are. Such arguments, of course, are limited to those inside the palace. You can trust in the discretion of our staff and priests. How do you know? I mean, about us. Maybe we are working on it. Maybe you'll have your heir before you know it. Vessel, do you honestly think that we would take an unfamiliar foreign woman and place her in close proximity to our most holy of gods without keeping watch? Siri felt her breath catch, and she had a moment of horror. Of course, she thought, of course they were watching. To make sure I didn't hurt the God King, to make certain things went according to plan. Now, we understand that the God King may not be what you expected. He may even be difficult to work with. You are a woman, however, and you should know how to use your charms to motivate. How can I motivate if I can't talk to him or look at him, she snapped. I'm sure you'll find a way. You only have one task in this king palace. You want to make certain Idris is protected? Well, give the God King's priesthood what we desire, and your rebels will earn our appreciation. My colleagues and I have no small influence in the court, and we can do much to safeguard your homeland. All we ask is that you perform this single duty. Give us an heir. Give the kingdom stability. Not everything in Halindrin is as cohesive as it may appear to you at first. Siri remained slouched down, not looking at Trelides. I see that you understand. I feel that... He trailed off, turning to the side. A procession was approaching Ciri's box. Its members were golden red, and a tall figure at the front caused them to shine with vibrant color. Trelides frowned, then glanced at her. We will speak further if it becomes necessary. Do your duty, Vessel, or there will be consequences. With that, the priest withdrew. Yeah, you really thought nobody knew they weren't banging? Well, uh, first of all, she's not <laughs> meant to touch him. She's not meant to talk to him. She's not meant to look at him. She's just gotta motivate him, She's Bingo. supposed to sit there and have stuff be done to her. And yet they're getting mad at her? For not doing anything? I, mm. It's almost I like these, these people, people are unreasonable. Yeah. Yeah, they are. We cut to Lightsong's POV. Lightsong didn't think the girl looked dangerous, though that made him even more inclined to believe Blushweaver's concerns. His attendants placed some furniture for him to sit on next to her. Your Majesty, it is a pleasure to meet you, I'm sure. The girl hesitated. You're sure? A figure of speech, my dear. A rather redundant one, which is quite appropriate since I am a rather redundant person. The girl looked confused, and Lightsong realized he was probably the first returned she'd met. Not a great first impression. She greeted him hesitantly. 
Either she hadn't been trained for such situations, or she was a great actress. No need to be so formal, your majesty. You will soon realize that among returned, I am by far the least. If cows could return, they'd undoubtedly be ranked higher than I. She replied too formally. She was too uncomfortable. It made Lightsong wonder if she was being genuine. He hated how Blushweaver had, had dragged him into this. He almost, he almost left then, but that wouldn't be very nice. Best to be kind, he thought, smiling idly to himself. That way, if she ever does take over the kingdom, perhaps she'll behead me last. You ask after the nature of my visitation, he said. I believe it has no nature, your majesty, other than to appear natural, at which I have already failed by staring at you for far too long while thinking to myself about your place in this mess. The queen frowned again. Lightsong popped a grape in his mouth. Wonderful things, he said, holding up another one. Delightfully sweet, wrapped in their own little package. Deceptive, really. So hard and dry on the outside, but so delectable on the inside, don't you think? We don't have many grapes in Idris, your grace. I'm rather the opposite, you know. Fluffly, fluffy and pretty on the outside without much of import on the inside. But I guess that is beside the point. You, my dear, are a very welcome sight. Much more so than a grape. I... How is that, your grace? We haven't had a queen in such a long time. Since before my return, in fact. An old Susabron up there really has been moping about the palace lately, looking forlorn. It's good he has a woman in his life. Thank you for the compliment, your grace. You're welcome. I'll make up a few more if you like. She fell silent. Well then, that's it, he thought, sighing. Blushweaver was right. I probably shouldn't have come. All right, the queen said, hair suddenly turning red as she threw her hands up in the air. What is going on here? He hesitated. Your majesty, are you making fun of me? Probably. But you're supposed to be a god. She said, leaning back, staring up at the canopy. Just when I thought things in this city were starting to make sense. The priests start yelling at me, then you come along. What am I supposed to do with you? You seem more like a schoolboy than a god. Lightsong paused, then settled back into his seat, <laughs> smiling. <laughs> you have me found out, he said, hope opening his hands. <laughs> I killed the real god and took his place. I've come to hold you ransom for your sweets. I killed the real god and my name is Odium. No, I'm kidding. That'd be crazy, though, wouldn't it? Shut up. There, the god, the, the god, the queen said, pointing. Aren't you supposed to be, I don't know, distinguished or something? He spread his hands out. My dear, this is what passes for being distinguished in Halandrin. She didn't seem convinced. I am, of course, lying through my teeth. You shouldn't base your opinion of the others upon what you think of me. They're all much more deific than I am. The queen sat back. I thought you were the god of bravery. Technically. You seem more like the god of jesters, but to me. I've applied for the position and been turned down. You should see the person they have doing the job. Dull as a rock and twice as ugly. You'd think that would be a great opening for a Hoyt cameo, but it's not. I wasn't lying that time. Mirthgiver, god of laughter, if ever there was a god more poorly suited to his position than I, it's he. I don't understand you. It appears there's a lot I don't understand in this city. This woman is no fake, Lightsing thought, staring into her youthful, confused eyes. Or if she is, then she's the best actress I've ever met. That meant something. Something important. It was possible there were mundane reasons this girl had been sent instead of her sister. Sickness on the part of the elder daughter, perhaps? But Lightsong didn't buy that. She was part of something. A plot, or perhaps several. And whatever those plots were, she didn't know about them. Kalat's phantoms. Lightsong cursed mentally. This child is going to get ripped apart and fed to the wolves. But what could he really do about it? He sighed, standing, causing his priest to begin packing his things. The girl watched with confusion as he nodded to her, giving her a wan smile of farewell. 
She stood and curtsied slightly, though she probably didn't need to. She was his queen, even if she wasn't herself returned. Lightsong turned to go, then stopped, recalling his own first few months in the court, and the confusion he'd known. He reached over, laying a gentle hand on her shoulder. Don't let them get to you, child, he whispered. And with that, he withdrew. Chapter 17 Vivenna walked back toward Lemix's house, dissecting what she'd heard in the Court of Gods. It seemed that her father was right. War was inevitable. She was distracted by the large houses in the residential areas as she walked, but tried to focus back on the Halindran attack. Real action wouldn't occur until the gods voted. Only one day in Tatilir and she already felt as if she hadn't been half as prepared as she should have been. If she'd been sent to the god to be the god king's bride, she probably would have been just as ineffective as poor Ciri. They finally neared Lemix's house, and Vivenna froze when she saw the door was hanging from one hinge. Parlin went for his knife as she started to panic. Denth and Tong Fa were her only connections in the city. What would she do without them? Someone approached from the other side of the door. Her biochromatic senses warned her of the proximity. She laid a hand on Parlin's arm, preparing to bolt. Denth pushed the broken door open, sticking his head out. Oh, he said. It's you. What happened? Were you attacked? Denth glanced at the door and chuckled to himself. Nah, he said, pushing the door open and waving her in. Through the broken door, she could see that furniture had been ripped apart. There were holes in the walls and pictures were slashed and broken. Dent wandered back inside, kicking aside some stuffing from a cushion, making his way toward the stairs. Several of the steps had been broken. He glanced back, noting her confusion. Well, we did say we were going to search the house, princess. Figured we might as well do a good job of it. Ugh. Vivenna sat in a chair, half <laughs> expecting it to collapse. Tonkfa and Death had been very thorough. They'd found a secret compartment in Lemix's desk and had emptied it of its contents. That's everything, Denth said, leaning against the room's doorframe. Tonkfa lounged on a broken couch, its stuffing sticking out awkwardly. Did you have to break so much? Had to be certain. You'd be surprised where people hide things. Inside the front door? Would you have thought to look there? Of course not. Sounds like a pretty good hiding place to me, then. We knocked and thought we found a hollow space. Just turned out to be a section of different wood. But it was important to check. People get really clever when it comes to hiding important stuff, Tong Fa said with a yawn. You know the thing I hate most about being a mercenary, Denth asked, holding up a hand. Vivenna raised an eyebrow. Splinters, he said, wiggling several red fingers. No hazard pay for those, Tong Fa added. Oh, now you're just being silly, Vivenna said. She found a bag with a little over 5,000 marks in it. Seems like old Lemix was storing up quite the little nest egg. That mixed with the amount of breath he held. He must have extorted even more from me just than I assumed. Vivenna stared at the bag. Then she looked up at Denth. You gave it to me. You could have taken it and spent it. Actu actually, we did, Denth said. Took about 10 bits for lunch. Should have been a it should be here any minute. Vivenna met his eyes. Now, there's what I'm talking about, eh, Tonks? If I'd been, say, a butler, would she be looking at me like that? Just because I didn't take the money and run? Why does everyone expect a mercenary to rob them? Tonkfa grunted, stretching again. Dent took Tonkfa downstairs to wait while Vivenna looked through her papers. Several hours later, she'd managed to spread them out in front of her and discovered that many of them were written in her father's own hand, not his scribes. My friend, her father's script read, Our conversations have worried me more than I care to admit. I have spoken with Yarda at length. We can see no solution. 
War is coming. We all know that now. The continued and increasingly vigorous arguments in the Court of Gods shows a disturbing trend. The money we sent to buy you enough breath to attend those meetings is some of the best I have ever spent. And all signs point to the, inevitable, the inevitability of Halandrin Lifeless marching to our mountains. Therefore, I give you leave to do as we have, we have discussed. Any disruptions you can cause in the city, any delays you can earn us, will be extremely valuable. The additional funds you requested should be have arrived by now. My friend, I must admit a weakness in myself. I will never be able to send Vivenna to be a hostage in that dragon's nest of a city. To send her would be to kill her, and I cannot do that, even though I know it would be best for Idris if I did. I'm not yet sure what I will do. I will not send her, for I love her too much. However, breaking the treaty would bring the Halandrin wrath against my people even more quickly. I fear I may have to make a very difficult decision in the days to come. But that is the essence of a king's duty. Until we correspond again, Dedalyn, your liege and your friend. She wanted to scream at her father. He'd claimed to her face that the switch wasn't about favoritism. He'd betrayed the highest tenet of his religion by purchasing breath for Lemix. He was supposed to be the perfect king. The man she saw in these letters was far more human. She tried to push those thoughts aside. Halandrin troops would probably march on Idris before the year was out. Then they would hold Ciri hostage and threaten to kill her if Dedalyn didn't surrender. He would not give up his kingdom and Ciri would be executed. She would just have to stop it somehow. She went downstairs when, where the mercenaries were teaching Parlin how to play cards. She explains to them what she discovered upstairs. I don't know if Lemix intended to do as my father asked. The way he hid the money, some of the things he wrote. Well, maybe he was finally planning to turn traitor and run. We can't know what he would eventually have decided. We do, however, have a vague list of things he planned to accomplish. Those plans were convincing enough to persuade my father, and the urgency of his letters has convinced me. We are going to continue Lemix's work and undermine Halandrin's ability to wage war. The room fell silent. And your sister? Parlin finally asked. We will get her out. Our, her rescue and safety is our first priority. That is all easier discussed than accomplished, princess, Denth said. I know. The mercenaries shared a look. Well, Denth said, standing, standing up, better get back to work then. He nodded at Tonk Fa, who sighed and grumbled, standing. Wait, Vivenna said, frowning. What? I figured once you saw those papers that you'd want to continue. Now that I've seen what he was up to, I can piece together why he had us do some of the things we were involved in. One of those was to contact and support some rebellious factions here in the city, including one that was stamped out just a few weeks back. Cult of Disaffection centered on a guy named Var. Always wondered why Lemix gave him support. That faction's dead, along with Var himself. But a lot of his followers are still around, waiting for trouble to come their way. We can contact them. There are a few other le leads I think we can look into. Things Lemix didn't explain completely, but which I might be able to figure out. And you can handle something like this? You just said it wouldn't be easy. Denth shrugged. Won't be. But if you haven't realized it yet, this kind of thing is why Lemix hired us. A team of three high-priced specialist mercenaries isn't exactly the type of thing you keep around to serve your tea. Unless you want the tea rammed up someplace uncomfortable, Tonk Fa noted. Three mercenaries, Ravenna thought. That's right, there's another one. A woman. Where's the other member of your team? Jules? You'll meet her soon enough. Unfortunately, Tonk Fa said under his breath, Denth elbowed his friend. For now, let us go back out and see how things stand on our projects. Gather what you want from this house. We'll move out tomorrow. Move out? Unless you want to sleep on a mattress, Tonk Fa ripped into five pieces. He has a thing about mattresses. And chairs. And tables. And doors. And walls, actually. Oh, and people. Either way, princess, 
This building was well known to people who worked with Lemmix. As you've discovered, he wasn't exactly the most honest fellow around. I doubt you want the baggage that comes with being associated with him. Best to move to another house. We'll try not to break up the next one quite so badly. No promises, though, Kong Fa said with a wink. And then the two left. And that's the end of the chapter. The God King isn't the one who's actually in control of anything, is he? That's an interesting theory. He's considered bigger and grander than everyone else, and yet he doesn't really participate in anything. He doesn't participate in war plans. He constantly has people watching him. No one consults him about basically anything because they're not apparently allowed to talk to him. This is something that stretches even to the, like, all these things you're noting are things that stretch to the regular return as well. Like, I mean, what they were just saying, they don't, they don't participate in politics. Their priests do. Yeah. Huh. Interesting thoughts. Um, we're going to do one more chapter. I'm starting to think that the king is probably, like, the most sheltered person in the entire court of gods. And that, well, well, because he allegedly had been keeping order for decades, but that's not possible if he's as young as he looks. Well, he also is the only alive person at the Tenth Heightening, and they said that breaths extend your lifespan. So oh, just because he true. looks young doesn't mean that he that's necessarily true, is but young. still, I feel like they say that not everything is as it seems, and I'm starting to pick up on some things that are definitely... Yeah, that the, what they're saying and what's actually true is is not the not the same. I think you will very much enjoy what we cover next week. Uh, but we have one more chapter. We have one more chapter. Chapter eighteen. Siri stood before the door to the God King's bedchamber. Her mind buzzed with the events of the day as she waited for Bluefingers to tell her to enter. Trelides uh, telling her that she needed to provide an heir. Lightsong the bold, talking in circles, then leaving her with what had seemed like a heartfelt farewell. Her king and husband sitting on his tower above, bending light around him. The priests below, arguing about whether or not to invade her homeland. Everyone wanted something from her, but were unwilling to tell her what to do. Trelides had given her a command, and she'd, showed, she'd show the high priest how she feels about that. She'll go into the king's bedchamber and refuse to strip. She'd confront the god-king. She didn't think the God King would actually do anything. She had a new impression of him. A man with so much power that he had grown lazy. That annoyed her. It was time he was defied. It was time for the priests to learn they couldn't bully her. She was tired of being used. Finally, she turned to Bluefingers and asked him if they watched her every night. He glanced around, then shook his head and pointed to his ears. They listen, Siri thought. Bluefingers leaned in closer. They would never watch Vessel. Remember, the God King is their holiest of deities. Seeing him nude, watching him with his wife, no, they wouldn't dare. However, they aren't above listening. She nodded. They are very concerned about an heir. Bluefingers glanced about nervously. Am I really in danger from them? He met her eyes, then nodded sharply. More danger than you know, Vessel. Then he backed away, gesturing at the doorway. You have to help me, she mouthed at him. He shook his head, holding up his hands. I cannot. Not now. With that, he pushed open the door, bowed, and scuttled away, glancing nervously over his shoulder. She glanced into the dark room, wondering if it was wise to resort to her normal defiance. In the past, her father had been perpetually angry at her, and Ravenna had treated her like a child. She couldn't go back to that. These people weren't the types you could defy just because you were annoyed. 
She wasn't sure what the answer was, though. She stepped into the room and closed the door. The God King waited in his corner, shadowed as always. She didn't kneel and strip this time. She just stared at him, and he stared back. She started to take off her clothes, then stopped and stepped forward. He tensed. She walked right up to him, then turned and climbed onto the bed. And then, in much more detail than necessary, that I'm not going to read, she pretends to have sex. Um, uh. She bounces up and down on the bed and makes a bunch of noise for the listening priests. Oh. Which actually is smart as fuck. It's really smart. Yes! Once she was done, she laid back on the bed and looked at the god king. He looked very confused. She almost <laughs> He would be. She, she almost laughed at the look. She decided to lay back and go to sleep. The god king left her alone. In fact, he'd grown tense at her approach, almost as if he were worried, even frightened of her. That couldn't be. He was the god and king of Halandrin, and she was just a silly girl swimming in waters that were far over her head. No, he wasn't frightened. The concept was enough to again make her feel like laughing. She restrained herself, maintaining the illusion for the listening priests, as she drifted off in the luxurious comfort of the bed. And we cut to Lightsong. The next morning, Lightsong did not get out of bed. His servants stood around looking nervously at each other as he just lay in bed staring at the ceiling. He didn't touch any of the food they brought him. He dreamt of war again. Finally, Laramir walked up to Lightsong and dismissed the rest of the servants. He sat down on the table where the food had been laid and studied Lightsong. What did I ever do to deserve to earn a priest like him? Lightsong thought. He knew many of the high priests of other returned, and most of them were various levels of insufferable. Some were quick to anger, others quick to point out fault, and still others were so fumelessly effusive toward their gods that it was downright maddening. Trelides, the god king's own high priest, was so stuck up that he made even gods feel inferior. And then there was Laramir. Patient, understanding. He deserved a better god. All right, Your Grace, what is it this time? I'm sick. You can't get sick, Your Grace. Lightsong gave a few weak coughs to which Laramir just rolled his eyes. Oh, come on, Scoot, can't you just play along a little? Play along that you're sick, Laramir asked, showing a hint of amusement. Your Grace, to do that would be to pretend that you're not a god. I do not believe that's a good precedent for your high priest to set. It's the truth. I'm no god. Again, there was no sign of annoyance or anger from Laramir. He just leaned down. Please don't say such things, Your Grace. Even if you yourself do not believe, you should not say so. Why not? For the sake of the many who do believe. And if I should continue to deceive them? And I should, yeah, bleh, and I should continue to deceive them? Laramir shook his head. It is no deception. It is not so uncommon for others to have more faith in someone than he has in himself. And that doesn't strike you as a little odd in my case? Laramir smiled. Not knowing your temperament, it doesn't. Now what brought this on? Lightsong turned, looking up at the ceiling again. Blushweaver wants my commands for the lifeless. Yes, she'll destroy that new queen of ours. Blushweaver worries that the Edrians are making a play for the Halindran throne. Do you disagree? Lightsong shook his head. No, they probably are. But the thing is, I don't think the girl, the queen, knows that she's part of anything. I'm worried that Blushweaver will crush that child out of fear. I'm worried that she'll be too aggressive and get us all into a war, when I don't know yet if that's the right thing to do. It seems that you already have a good handle on all of this, Your Grace. I don't want to be part of it, Scoot. I feel myself getting sucked in. It is your duty to be involved so that you can lead your kingdom. You can't avoid politics. I can if I don't get out of bed. Laramir raised an eyebrow. You don't honestly believe that, do you, Your Grace? Lightsong sighed. You, you don't believe that, Sora. I know you don't. Anyways, Lightsong <laughs> sighed. 
You're not going to give me a lecture about how even my inaction has political effects, are you? Laramir hesitated. Perhaps. Like it or not, you are a part of the workings of this kingdom, and you produce effects even if you stay in bed. If you do nothing, then the problems are as much your fault as if you had inst instigated them. <laughs> when you... <laughs> when... <laughs> When you have power and something happens, then it happens because of you. Anyways, um, with great uh, power comes great responsibility. Uh, no, Lightsong said. With great power <laughs> comes the great need to take a nap and not do petitions. No, Lightsong said. No, I think you're wrong. If I don't do anything, then at least I can't ruin things. Sure, I can let them go wrong, but that's not the same thing. It really isn't, no matter what people say. And if by acting you could make things better... Lightsong shook his head. Not going to happen. You know me better than that. I do, Your Grace, Laramir said. I know you better, perhaps, than you think I do. You've always been one of the best men I have known. Lightsong rolled his eyes, but then stopped, noting the expression on Laramir's face. Best man I have known. Lightsong sat up. You knew me! That's why you chose to be my priest! You did know me before, before I died! Laramir said nothing. Who was I? A good man, you claim? What was it about me that made me a good man? I can say nothing, Your Grace. You've already said something. You might as well go on, no turning back. I've said too much already. Come on, just a little bit. Was I from Tetelier then? How did I die? Who is she? The woman I see in my dreams. Laramir said nothing further. I could command you to speak. No, you couldn't. Laramir said, smiling as he stood up. It's like the rain, Your Grace. You could say you want to command the weather to change, but you don't believe it, deep down. He doesn't obey, and neither would I. Convenient bit of theology, that, the uh, Lightsong thought, particularly when you want to hide things from your gods. Laramir turned to go. You have paintings waiting to be judged, Your Grace. I suggest that you let your, your servants bathe and dress you so that you can get through the day's work. Lightsong sighed, stretching. How exactly did he just do that to me, he thought. Laramir hadn't even really revealed anything, yet Lightsong had overcome his bout of melancholy. He eyed Laramir as the priest reached the door and waved for the servants to return. Perhaps dealing with sullen deities was part of his job description. But he knew me before, Lightsong thought. And now he's my priest. How did that happen? Scoot, Lightsong said, drawing the priest's attention. Laramir turned, guarded, obviously expecting Lightsong to pry further into his past. What should I do? About Blushweaver and the Queen. I cannot tell you, Your Grace. You see, it is from what you do that we learn. If I guide you, then we gain nothing. Except perhaps the life of a young girl who is being used as a pawn. Laramir paused. Do your best, Your Grace. That is all I can suggest. Great, Lightsong thought as he stood. He didn't know what his best was. The truth was, he'd never bothered to find out. And that is where we'll stop for tonight. Huh. Uh, I think... And I said this in the Discord earlier, uh, in the Warbreaker channel, because I, I did the notes for that chapter. That was the last thing I did today. Um, I think Laramir and Lightsong's kind of friendship is the best written friendship that Sanderson has done. Huh. I really enjoy it. Um, they're kind of how Laramir is the only person that can, like, Whole light song out of his depression, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And I think it's I think it's written very well. Um, and as light song and you just found out, he knew light song before. Mm. Got any got any theories as to 
who he is, how he knows, or, or how he knew Light Song? Nope. Okay. I do think that the gods are being used. Somewhat. Definitely. They're treated as gods and treated as these higher-ups. But I don't think people outside of the palace know that it's not really the gods doing anything. It's all the priests. Not at all them, I guess. They're treated as children. Yeah, basically. They're being used, and the people who are their priests or their whatever are the actual people in charge. And that's why they got rid of the um, royal family and raised these gods up to be the people that people think are in charge. Because that way it's easier to weasel your way into politics and stuff. It's all, I think, like I, like, like I said, this is definitely, I think, his most political book. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, I think this is kind of a turning point. I feel like everybody ended their chapter going, okay, I'm getting involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Vivenna is going to work with Denth and Tonkfa to kind of rile up uh, Idris uh, rebel, rebels in the city. Uh, Siri. I don't know if Siri has decided she's going to do something. I think she's decided she's going to do something. She just is not sure yet what she should do. Well, she's going, she was kind of like, well, I'm not going to have people bully me. So I'm going to do what I can to trick them. Yeah. For now. Until I figure something out. And at the end there, Laramir pretty much told Lightsong, you have a duty to to get involved and... Light Song seems to have somewhat accepted that, that he has to do something. Mm. And next week, Mango, we are going to learn more about the God King of Halandrin himself, Susabran. So I, I think you will find that very interesting. Um, I told you in episode one, this isn't going to go where you think it's going to go. Uh, mm-hmm. and I was super lukewarm on this book my first time through it until I got to what we're covering in the next part and I thought it was mm-hmm. interesting and different enough that it really sucked me into the rest of it okay so um, you'll see for now though where can people find you online sometimes you can find me on Twitch, at Mango Asteroid. Um, I don't stream that often, but sometimes. Where can people find you, Sean? You guys can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. You guys can follow this show on Twitter at at Speak Stormlight. The link to join our Discord server is in the episode description and also uh, the pinned tweet on our Twitter account. You guys can email us at speakthewordsasp at gmail.com. And our cover was made by at Tyler Tylerums. He's awesome. Follow him on Twitter for all of your anime girl needs, because that's what he retweets. Uh, for now, Mango, why don't you why don't you hit us with the sign off? <laughs> Sorry, I I saw what you last messaged me, and I almost yeah. read that instead. <laughs>
Uh, my life to yours. My breath become yours. <laughs> <laughs>